Welcome to Afterthoughts. We're going to give you some thoughts after we watch something. I am Ryan King, your host. With me, we have John Garcia. Hey, Ryan. I'm happy to be here, and I wonder how Shaq's chicken fits into this whole equation. Um, (laughs) So excited to dig into this one. I got an advertisement for Shaq's chicken for a discount which I immediately threw away, but not after making fun of the fact that he green screened himself into his own restaurant. Like he couldn't be bothered to actually shoot promotional material (laughs) at Big Chicken. (laughs) Uh, And the uh, the other, the wow that we have here is our Michael Dixon. (laughs) What's up, uh, teamwork guys? Don't forget there's no I in goddamn. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, it'll take all of us to talk about this. What, what movie <laughs> yes, are we talking yes. about again, Ryan? <laughs> we are talking about They Cloned Tyrone. You don't want to do this, man. You better talk. No, I'm just trying to collect an hour of paycheck, you know? Who are you? We're, we're everywhere. Every, 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 every. Somebody is conducting experiments on us. This is Major League. It's Uncle Motherfucker Sam. <laughs> Which did go to theaters, um, but I watched it on Netflix. It did? Really? Damn it. I would have seen this in theaters. A a very small release. I don't know why. I don't exactly know the production behind this. It must have been one of those limited Netflix releases where they put it out in only like a handful of independent theaters. I don't think it showed in Austin. No. Some like technicality so they can get, yeah, I, I looked it up yeah. and it was showing in like, it had like three showings in Los Angeles over the weekend. So yeah, yeah. it's like nowhere. Um, this was something that I saw when I was looking for something to watch before I ended up watching Mithrigan, Uh, Cause I looked at this <laughs> and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. This actually looks like it might be something. And I was like, oh shit, it doesn't come out yet on Netflix. Uh, and then I got pissed that it showed it to me and showed me a preview, but couldn't let me watch it. Bastards. Um, it is a Cohen-esque, in my mind, sort of hmm. murder comedy sci-fi movie where we kind of have our three bumbling idiots of our main <laughs> characters who stumble into a conspiracy, question mark, um, after our main character dies and shows back up. And relatively quickly, we learn, not to mention that it's in the title of the movie, that uh, he's being cloned to replace himself if he dies. (laughs) I I guess that's the plot. (laughs) (laughs) That's the start of the plot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's where the roller coaster takes you at first. Yeah, I I did appreciate just on the mention of that. It didn't waste too much time before it got to what it needed to. Like, we kind of set up a little bit about the Glen and then kind of just got to him being shot and cloned and then we were kind of off to the races. Um, so our main John Boyega plays Fontaine, who's our mm-hmm. main guy who's getting cloned. No, he does not play Tyrone and I'm a little perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> this whole, the, t- the whole time I was watching the movie, I kept being like, where's Tyrone? What's yeah. <laughs> going on? When is Tyrone going to show up? I felt like I was watching Itchy, Scratchy and Poochie just waiting for Poochie to come on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and then we have uh, our secondary cast of Jamie Foxx, who's playing Slick Charles, who is a pimp in the Glen, uh, a character, quite a character there. Very, very <laughs> interesting choice for Jamie Foxx. Uh, and then our other, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher names all over the place anyway, but Tayona, I don't know how to say first name, Paris, uh, who's also going to be in the Marvels upcoming. She's been kind of in the in the Walt Disney stuff, so this is a... A, a different, very, very, very different role as she plays a hooker named Yo-Yo, uh, mm-hmm. who's one of Slick Charles's hookers, I guess. And he, I thought he offhand called her Yo-Yo just as like a slight early, but I guess that's 
the name no. she goes by. I guess he gave her That's that name. It was unclear name, to me, yeah. but yeah, because she always comes bounces back, even though she claims she wants out. Yeah. And I did watch this with Darla and I don't know that she had an opinion about it. She kind of was like, okay, she laughed during it, but I think overall was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Um, I enjoyed it. I did find it funny. It did make me think of Coen Brothers stuff. So like, just because it's that, uh, there's some repetition of dialogue. There's that kind of like, these guys don't really know what's going on and they kind of keep fucking up, especially when Slick Charles just accidentally shoots a dude. That was a very Coen Brothers thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> the sci-fi angle was, it, it is a sci-fi thing, but it was pretty loose on where it's going or what exactly the point was. It was kind of broad strokes, I felt like. Um, I don't know about the like, 70s throwback graininess of all of it. That was an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. Jamie Foxx is hilarious. Wayoga plays a couple different roles, um, and he has kind of just like disappeared into it. But I did think Jamie Foxx was kind of the standout of a pretty hilarious to me in this. Yeah, like he was overall, great. I liked it, but it did feel like a mishmash of some other movies and never quite hit something that I was like, oh, this is all, like cult classic type status or something. So, John, what was your take? Um, I love this movie. Uh, I'll just start it by saying that uh, because this movie is like a black dynamite that takes itself seriously for the purpose of bringing exploitation, black exploitation cinema back. Um, and I felt like the the 70s grain was definitely that kind of we're doing this post processing. We're going to try to put this in to give it that vibe, that texture. But then they have like flip phones and everybody is kind of a little bit farther along than when 70s black exploitation was big. Um, the science fiction fits in line with a lot of the black exploitation that I've seen where there's always, uh, this time it wasn't outright whitey, but it was outright like, was Oh, the there's man. an invisible, there's the, the man. man. <laughs> there's like, yeah, like an invisible man somewhere that's, that's pulling the strings and trying to, uh, perpetuate suffering in the black community of Glenn. Um, and I, I found a lot of that, like, I didn't really care past a certain point whether the science fiction held up or not, because I think it was going for something completely different in what it was trying to do. And it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was also trying to make a super pointed commentary about any of the things that, um, it utilizes as like weapons against the black community. Like they talked about having hypnotic tracks in it and having the fried chicken that complacently makes everybody happy and whatever. Um, I felt like those were all ends of the conspiracy itself and that Kiefer Sutherland's character is uh, the real one who's delivering like, oh, here's like the institutions of racism and here's like the things that are supposed to perpetuate this. But the rest of it is this kind of like, hey, let's just have a trio that bumbles around and discovers this conspiracy and tries to get through. I actually didn't feel like the characters themselves were dumb. They, they made poor decisions and they logically would bumble into things, but I felt they always did it from a particular emotion that was driving them that they couldn't either control or that was like deeply existential, which put an interesting twist on it. Usually it's just like, yeah, uh, we're, we're just fuck whoever this is. We're going to shoot these people and then be done with it. Like uh, Black Dynamite kind of sums up all of black exploitation really well in its homage. I should have known it was you all the time. I should have asked myself, who's the man so wicked, so cruel? To serve smack to the orphanage, kill my brother Jimmy, and put out a drug to shrink black men's dicks. Only one man, and that's you, Tricky Dick. Black Dynamite. Uh, there's a uh, perfectly reasonable explanation for that. Um, of just being like, oh, they, they put something in our drinks, and we're going to have to go and kill a bunch of like white guys. Here, it's a bunch of white guys with afros. Um, and that actually plays into the plot. I, I really liked how a lot of the elements of this movie were very like, it's the Chekhov's gun, the Spielberg kind of, um, they instill it early and they repeat it here and there. And then it comes into play later. Like even an offhand comment about Yo-Yo wearing a wig where she gets offended yeah, comes yeah. into play later. And I just loved how neatly it wrapped a lot of that up and explained it <laughs> in the later points of the movie. Um, yeah. And then John Boyega, I've, I've only ever seen him in Star Wars and Detroit. So it was just nice to see John Boyega stretch into a different role and be somebody different here and get to play three different kinds of John Boyega, sort of. It was like, 
I don't know, the quiet stoic type and then the drug dealer and then an old scientist in old man makeup. <laughs> that was, uh, it was just pretty entertaining to see those moments, but yeah, Jamie Foxx definitely steals a whole show for me. Um, and I would say, uh, to an extent, um, Paris does too with just her flair and her performance and she's really kind of the heart of it. She binds, mm-hmm. uh, the pimp and the drug dealer together and she's never mentioned as being cloned either. So there was kind of like, I don't know, something interesting about her being like the real heart and soul pulling these, uh, these, these existential threads for everybody together. Um, but I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think the soundtrack is fucking killer. The mm-hmm. score was great. Um, and I, I just visually, I found it to be really well shot. It was like the most polished, um, kind of black exploitation send up I've seen. And, uh, I think it stands as a great double feature with, with, uh, black dynamite. I think it'd be fantastic together. So yeah, that's my whole take on it. Um, Dixon, what did you think? Yeah. So when Ryan picked this movie and I looked it up and I saw that the writer director was one of the screenwriters <laughs> on Space Jam, A New Legacy, which is the worst movie in the history of mankind. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I had very, very low expectations going into this and was kind of upset that Ryan made me watch something written by this guy. Uh, Ryan, you never saw Space Jam, A New Legacy, did you? No, no. Yeah, uh-huh. My yeah, kids I, saw I can it, tell. so now I don't have to because I <laughs> yeah. wasn't there, so. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I was pleasantly surprised by this. Uh, Jewel Taylor, the director and, and co-writer of this movie, did a, a far better job than with Space Jam, A New Legacy. Granted, there are like five other people credited on that screenplay, and so who knows what yeah. was his fault and what was other people's and what was just Warner Brothers fucking things up, but... um. With, you know, glad to see that he got to do something that was more his own and less a commercial. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, so uh, I, I really liked this. The, the first half of the movie I was really into. Um, and then I think as the conspiracy kind of unfolds and then like by the time they know what it is and for the second half of the movie, they're just kind of trying to figure out how to go about, you know, overthrowing this entity. And I, I felt like it, it got a little less interesting at that point. Um, I kind of the mystery of uncovering what was going on was uh, was fascinating to me. And then once they get there and, and they know what's happening, like, OK, yeah, I've, I'm seeing this play out. This is fine, but it's not as gripping as the first half of the movie. Um, I thought the three lead characters were all great. Boyega Fox and Paris all did a really good job. Um, Fox's character, Slick Charles, is just hilarious to me like the parted afro and the like leather coats and the furs and stuff was all this just Mm. hilarious um i had a a lot of trouble figuring out when this took place um it's like (laughs) it's you know the fashion is like 70s the cars are really old they have flip phones and i'm like is this today and it's just the hood and this is all like hand-me-down stuff that they've had for a long time that have been passed down because they're in the hood um or is this like is it taking place in maybe the mid aughts when flip phones are a thing or you know i, I don't know it's hard to tell and there's like all the crazy tech of the underground that you know is like is this happening in the future like it, it's kind of hard to place it which i think is kind of interesting um you know this this town the glen we don't have any idea really where that is what part of the country it's in um and they're able to kind of create their own unique atmosphere and setting i think because of that um the visual style i think in theory is interesting having the grain on it but i felt like it didn't work super well in practice like it was shot digitally and the grain was added in later Mm -hmm. and i thought it like made the image look kind of flat in parts especially darker Mm -hmm. scenes and there are a lot of scenes at night in this and the contrast was really low and i felt like i was having a hard time tell what was telling what was going on in some scenes and i was like well maybe if i turn the brightness up on my tv but that just nope. made it worse um and <laughs> like because it's just in the the frame itself the contrast is not great and i think the grain probably contributes to that problem a little bit um you know i understand they probably didn't have the budget to shoot on film but i almost wish they had just shot this on 16 millimeter or something if they were wanting to do this old school grainy feel um you know, probably cheaper to shoot it in 4K digital than it is to shoot on 16 millimeter film, even though 16 yeah. is not super expensive. But um, I wish they had done. That. And I've seen some moves, some indie movies that were very low budget over recent years that have done 16 millimeters, such as Red Rocket um, and, and a few others that looked 
great on on 16 and they have that nice grainy look to them um that feels authentic and old school so i wish they were able to do something like that given the constraints i almost wish they had just not done the grain edition but i appreciated the aesthetic they were going for um you know just feel like it didn't necessarily work super well in execution but um yeah i mean overall i i had fun with this i thought it was uh, a fun ride it, it just those three characters i think are really strong and you're spending the whole time with them as they're trying to figure out what's happening in their community and um i thought it was it was fun spending time with them also the conspiracy that they're uncovering is very relevant you know for i mean any post-slavery period in america like you know there's uh always you know the the government is working to undermine the um you know success of african americans and and doing things to create these situations with ghettos and um you know limiting uh financial mobility and i, I think the turning that into uh, a sci-fi movie with a plot with like this underground laboratory of like white government officials working to keep them down was um just kind of an interesting way to explore that socio-political problem so um yeah i, I enjoyed it yeah i think the sci-fi aspect which you're just talking about is is honestly is pretty much everything that's happened to black americans just made literal that uh-huh. right yeah. like using using the um in you know even not necessarily called ghettos now, but still kind of a, a similar concept to the areas in the city where uh, it's just hard to get by and get out. And, and then on top of it, the products that we sell them, the image that we sell them, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say we as a, I guess, I mean, you Americans. got like, I you am know, a white CIA, person too. <laughs> yeah, you got like the CIA bringing cocaine into the, you know, black neighborhoods right. and so, or crack into black neighborhoods, you know, it's like, we have, We've done this stuff as a society very literally in the past and doing it in a way where like, oh, we're just going to like, you know, every institution of the community, we're putting some sort of chemicals in the sh- in the fried chicken and the shampoo and the uh, the music they're playing at church, all these things that are contributing to um, that situation I, I thought was was interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that it's even to the point of like it just the concept of testing on black americans right our government has done exactly that without their knowledge tested on them Mm. and then even further i guess that that's where i get like it gets a bit fuzzy when we get to the old man but essentially the concept is a eugenics right of like kind of yep genetically getting to sort of one race to erase everything and then I guess the concept is we won't have any infighting in America anymore. It's it's a literalism of assimilationist uh, methodology. Right. It's it's not enough to look and act like us and have your hair straightened. Uh, you need to have like white skin to actually belong uh, in America is kind of like what I got from that conversation. And it wasn't even like, yeah, he was talking about cha- changing like the genes of people in Chinatown too and inferring that there were experiments going on there as well. And it was like, this is all the assimilationist techniques that are used and things that have been pushed on people. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting from like the perspective of black exploitation. A lot of the early black exploitation films were written and directed by white people um, and marketed towards black audiences as uh, effectively what this movie has in like some of its, its experiments. Like it was sort of a complacency thing of like, okay, well we can exploit this market, get all this money. But also I remember it took like a, uh, class at UT where they talked about how um, during like times of political strife, if you had a black exploitation film that allowed people to have a catharsis against the forces that they felt powerless against, they actually wouldn't, uh, they're less likely to kind of rise up and um, march in the streets and everything. Cause they felt like they were being seen in some vein of, of American media. And uh, even if it's small demographic. So it's kind of interesting to think about this movie now, which is written and directed by a, a, a black person who has an entire black cast and is being respectful of those characters. Like not to say that old black exploitation didn't hold up some kind of respect for its characters. When you look at it, they make them strong and powerful, but they also make them pretty flat in terms of their motivation. And here it like there's existentialism mixed in. There's like all these other aspects to um, trying to be black and wanting to be black. And like there are parts of the conversation about that. Yeah. The, the throwback to black exploitation as it's interesting and I, I like the the idea of it i agree the graininess 
did I was like after a point I was like this isn't working. They they went as far as like cigarette burns in the corner and yeah I saw that hairs and stuff in there every once in a while, which is and it's interesting in concept. But again, like yeah, with it like not being set in the time and it came off a little weird. But I do think as yes, like this is absolutely is <laughs> a black exploitation movie, uh, and it is that that I would say the later black exploitations are absolutely sort of revenge fantasies yeah um and they are they they did get embraced by the black community and become created by black people and then it was they were you know a lot of them were were then ended up being kung fu exploitation as well but Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was the thing is then the guy (laughs) would get kung fu and he'd go beat up you know the, the the man and that was kind of and it was that he was usually about the community Right. And and trying to save your community from what evil was going forces. on. <laughs> yeah. From whatever the yeah, whatever the evil force was. Um, and it and it's interesting embracing that because I do think it's the same thing too of the culture war that isn't necessarily as presented here, but through the concept of the assimilation, you also lose your own culture, right? If it if it's insult mm-hmm. you know, if it's co-opted or brought in or just forgotten about, kind of erased by trying to move, you know, to what the majority culture is. Um, and so by kind of like also then still acknowledging like black exploitation films. And I feel like that has been done, right? Black Dynamite, yep. Jackie Brown, Django Unchained. Even the outlaw Johnny Black, which is coming up. Yeah. 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 There's still some reverence and holding on to that culture and kind of continuing it on. I don't know, Dixon. You don't have a whole lot of experience with black exploitation films, do you? Uh, I mean, a ton. I, I've seen, seen uh, Shaft. Shaft, which is yeah. great, and I've seen Shaft's Big Score nice. uh, and um, Black Dynamite. Um, yeah. That may that may be it. Um, Shaft is fucking great. Like that. Oh that yeah. Oh yeah. Richard Roundtree is incredible. Just awesome. And uh, I mean, you can even see influence from Shaft in They Clone Tyrone with mm-hmm. basically with. Um, like uh, Jamie Foxx's outfits and stuff, like all his costumes are very, very shaft. And, you know, that, um, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with that, like style and energy of those types of movies because of shaft. And there are some black exploitation movies that I haven't got to that I want to go back and see from like the seventies. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen a ton of them, but I've, I've really liked the ones that I have seen. Another interesting thing that I wanted to talk about, and this may help us date the movie because <laughs> there are, there are so many, references references to movies some in the background even but a lot just up front where the characters mention it um hollow man yeah a lot (laughs) several mentions of hollow man uh i was gonna say there is a specific mention of giving someone a a david carradine which at least puts this into Uh, the into probably the 2010s then or right if it was right at the time, 2009. So it's at least in that time window. <laughs> um, wh- horrible joke and hilarious at the same time. Yes. <laughs> I'll acknowledge. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie like gives so many references to other movies that it also loves and maybe in some ways is incorporating. Um, I thought that was a pretty... In- like Obviously, this is someone who loves you know, the, the, those movies, the history of those finds it funny to put them in and reference them. I don't know, you know, in a quote, real world situation where these characters have said that much or have watched all those movies or, or whatever. But I, I did like that. Um, all those kind of like wink, wink with, with movie references. I felt like this is a movie too, where it wasn't all business, business, business when it was trying to get where it was going. Like, I mean, you said, Ryan, it cuts to the chase pretty fast with yeah. um, Fontaine being killed and then kind of reborn. But there are still moments where it takes a second and it kind of knows what it can do or what, like in the elevator when Jamie Foxx starts singing into his gun, (laughs) like it just, they just kind of have like a little pause of fun in between all of this crisis and like Mm. what the fuck is going on. Um, and that whole like church congregation where we just got to see like the full church congregation start (laughs) grinding and like. Yeah, <laughs> twerking and, and all, God, you know, all these kinds of weird the, dances. When that preacher, yeah, the preacher like is yelling out what to be thankful for, and then he goes into that really esoteric <laughs> example of when your brother like t- was shot on the street because he grabbed candy from a blah blah blah. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it, it felt like this movie knew how to dip in and out of that moment and then get into like serious things and it didn't tonally challenge it. Yeah, the comedy was woven into the sci-fi and the mystery very seamlessly where, you know, you have like John Boyega's character to kind of ground you and keep you in the suspense of what's going on with the plot. And you have Jamie Foxx and Tiona Paris to com- consistently add comedy on top of that as you're going throughout the movie. And I think that dynamic worked really well. Yeah, totally. And yeah, yeah, the comedy kind of stays. This, this, I love the mix of this where we get to deal with it. And yeah, they even call it Nancy Drew, but like we get to deal with this like mystery or whatever it is in sci-fi as it unravels, but we're not uh, completely brought down by it the whole time, especially when this is a, a deep concept of a deep problem that we're dealing with that we can have the levity in between it to kind of keep things going. I did say they're bumbling idiots, but I do think Yo-Yo is not. No. Yeah, she's, if she's you actually she's sharp. Pay attention. Sharp. She's definitely the smartest of them. Uh, and, and the one that kind of tends to be able to get more of like oh, quickly what's going on or, or how she's it's not working a clone, or whatever. So. Fontaine <laughs> yeah. acts out of impulse and Slick Charles is just like Slick Charles. I don't really know how to describe his intuitions. Uh, he's slick. <laughs> yep, he's he's certainly slick. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Um, it's interesting, interesting to talk about the different locales where they are putting the chemicals out into the population. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be doing different things, right? And I'm not sure exactly what the goal is of each one, but like they go to Goddamn Chicken, which is just crazy. Nice. a great name the commercial for a fried for chicken place. Oh, the commercial was awesome. I was like, oh, I want to go there. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, they go there and they the chicken is laced with some sort of like white powder chemical that is like just makes everybody start laughing their ass off. And like we see, you know, b- before that scene, the night before they find the first elevator in the trap house that goes down into a laboratory and Jamie Foxx sees what he thinks is cocaine and doesn't. He just starts laughing as he's pointing a gun at this lab tech. Tapioca spun. <laughs> Tapioca <laughs> Yeah. And uh and a good example of balancing the comedy and the the drama there is, you know, he's he's laughing while pointing a gun at this lab tech, and meanwhile Fontaine opens up a body bag with himself inside of it, right? And they jump right to that, but it it works pretty and, seamlessly. Yeah, and he's having like a whole moment. And even when uh Slick Charles shoots that man. There's still like an immediate, there's a beat where you're like, oh, it happened. And then uh-huh. immediately there's comedy going on after. Oh, shit! God. Shit! Oh, goddamn! Yo, yo, goddamn, look what you made me do! There's so many white guys with afros at weird parts of the movie and you're like, what is going on? But like they don't really draw attention to it. And so you kind of you're registering this in the back of your mind and not really noticing what's going on until later in the movie. But yeah, yeah. I did like that that trap house had OSHA standards up on the wall like going to the break room. And I was like, this is way too complicated of a break room. <laughs> that was pretty funny that the break room was on the main uh, level, the like main not floor, yeah. in the laboratory. Yeah. They're like, they have a break room in this trap house? What are they taking a break from? They have like a soda machine in there. And TV that's like, playing Bloodsport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fucking love Bloodsport. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the chicken place and then they have the hair salon where they're putting in shampoo into people's hair and like straightener into people's hair to sedative, like relaxing them. And then at the church, you have the music that is uh, like that hypnotizing the, yeah. people and their, putting them into this weird euphoric no, state. The music and the grape juice. juice. Yeah. Oh, it was the grape yeah, juice was the grape the juice they yeah, were using yeah. for communion. Yeah. yeah. And then the music at the club. Yeah. Yep. Right. And the music at the club. Uh, yeah, but, I definitely like the institute. And then I, oh, I mean, then there was one in the corner store, right? It was like through the... Where they sell the 40s. The beers and in the back where they sell, yeah, where they sell the 40s right, yeah. and the lotto tickets. 
I thought that was weird that the entrance to the elevator was through the fridge where like Miller Light and stuff is. And I'm like, they should have done the Simpsons joke where like uh, Apu's yeah. like uh, stairway to his secret garden is behind the non-alcoholic beer fridge. <laughs> yeah. Lisa's like, what if somebody wants a non-alcoholic beer? And Apu's like, we well, you know it's never come up. <laughs> yeah. that, I had that thought too. It was like, it should have like, been How many some, times like, have people gone in there to get a Miller Light and like, oh shit, what's this elevator? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's one of those French door handles where you have to really push on the right part. And- <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to grab it just the right place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it could be. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was fascinating how they're basically taking like a lot of these institutions of the neighborhood and using them to turn them against the population and like everything that that community thinks is their own. Right. It's like, you know, this is part of our culture, a thing that we we do as our as a local community is actually just being controlled by these outside forces how did so now there's this repetition in fontaine's life where he kind of does the same things we see when he dies and comes back as a clone or whatever and then we later see his alternate version of himself he does those same things every time but we also have that uh homeless guy that he always gives a little bit of beer to that says stuff Mm -hmm. one of those things that was like okay come on he tells them certain things that we then hear later or, or get connected later. Uh, and they realize like, Oh, he, I guess knows what's going on somehow. He's yeah. Not- one of the things he says is straight is great. Right. Which is a reference to the, the hair product. The hair product. Yeah. 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 And he ends up being the one that, that points them to the church, which then Jesus literally points to <laughs> <laughs> where you swipe your key card to get in. I was trying to figure out, like, is that a design intent uh, in this grand scheme? Like, if you forget, Jesus is pointing where the key card entry is. Yep. Or <laughs> Follow white Jesus. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that they had a very stereotypical blonde white Jesus yeah. up on, in this massive yep. painting, like huge, for like right in front of the congregation the whole time. And like, that seems like a representation of kind of Christianity being used by white people as a way to control like slaves originally to like pacify them and keep them from uh, revolting Mm -hmm. and then kind of still used after that to, you know, kind of keep them from kind of uh, grappling with their, their differences with, with white people and to, you know, yeah, just kind of pacify them and to not, uh, you know, have them actually fight for political freedom and, and things like that. It's like, you know, still, like Christianity has been used like that ever since it started. Um, but just, you know, another example of it. I thought that was an interesting representation in the yeah. film. And it, it, and it into being a whitewashed platitudes. Jesus, right? Like it's yeah. mm-hmm. it, the same yeah, thing. Specifically about being white Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it plays into those platitudes too, is like the, the pastor for that church is saying, it don't matter how bad your life is. And it's the exact same thing with like the people who tell you like money's money can't buy happiness. Uh, those people don't know that money buys fucking comfort or they won't admit to you that that's mm-hmm. what fucking money's supposed to buy is security and safety. And that is the happiness that you can get. Cause then you can fucking focus on other shit. Uh, and it's that same kind of thing of like just empty platitudes to placate a population that could that others people see as a powder keg waiting to be a problem for them in some way. Um, and here we have like a trio that's trying to fight to assert their identity to assert like who they are as, as black people in this community. Uh, and I think the aspect of them being clones makes it even more interesting because to be a clone means that you're not even, you're not even human in a way they consider them to be like, just, Oh yeah, you're playing a part. Like, and when you die, we'll just put you back where you are. You're like a a chess piece. Well, it mainly dealt with the race thoughts. There were some good potential for sci-fi thoughts underneath of like, what is the self? Like, what's the reality of that for the clone? Like, who are they? You know, they don't have parents. They don't like their memories are made up. So very much like a Blade Runner Runner, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We didn't really touch on that like we kind of just had our version of fontaine may not even be his name i guess like of the original um and just kind of like well he's he he gets that a little bit of like oh i'm me and i guess he's over the existential crisis of (laughs) of being a clone 
Yeah. He has that mi- moment where he breaks down his mom's door and realizes that she's just a tape recorder. And yep. like yeah. that, that seems to be where he's really grappling with that. But he does seem to come to terms with it rather quickly. I think maybe just by necessity, because they're like, fuck, we, we have to either decide to just live with this or decide to fight against it. And we have to do this very quickly if we're going to actually make a move. Yeah. Did you want to talk about the other patterns in Fontaine's behavior? Was there something else, Ryan, that you you noticed in well, particular? No, I think it was just an interesting using the gimmick of the kind of loop, right? To the Groundhog to Day effect with stuff in this movie. Yeah, the kind of Groundhog Day effect. Not to mention the and, and you guys said there were some of these callbacks, right, where something early is mentioned and then it kind of later comes back up. I definitely the the part with the wig. Mm-hmm. At the end, like totally caught me where I was like, ah, yeah, that's smart. Like, yeah, because they're going mm. to put the hair product in to test on Yo-Yo and she seemingly like dies passes, or passes out or whatever out. it's or yeah, or dies or something with it. And then she pops up and beats up the guy and escapes and your kind of instant reaction or at least what I was like, well, why the fuck did the hair product not work on her or whatever? <laughs> and then I was and then she goes to pull the wig off and I was like, oh, yeah, she has a fucking wig. <laughs> 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 I was like, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah or the the slick charles hot swap and the clones i don't even know if that was really foretold but i saw like we saw a slick charles clone so we knew he was a clone and then Kiefer sutherland trying to like mess with yo-yo i think that was probably the most uh the part that kind of like got me the most like eh, all right this is a little bit stretching it for me it was like Kiefer sutherland just monologued a lot towards yeah. that moment mm-hmm. he was like really leaving the window open um, and hey, maybe I can just chalk that up to arrogant white prick. Uh, that's perfectly hey, fine. And a valid. lot of them are into monologuing. Yep, that's um, true. <laughs> there's We got three of them right here. Uh, <laughs> Especially when he thinks he's winning, I guess. He just yeah. he has yeah. everything in control. Yeah. I did like, uh, you mentioned the Groundhog Day effect. That's what I thought was happening when he for, you know he gets shot and then wakes up the next morning and it's like oh they're doing a groundhog day thing okay well it's interesting we'll see how this goes and then he goes to do all the same shit that he did the previous day like yep we're, do- we're going through the day again yep. but then he shows up to slick charles place to get his money and he's like nick where the money at? do you not remember getting lit the fuck up you should be breathing through some tubes right now yeah. it's like, oh okay <laughs> we're not doing a groundhog day thing what are, what are we where are we going from here this is this is cool <laughs> and I, yeah I the like way charles they... comes unglued yeah like, yeah just completely like oh fuck this <laughs> come out, <I'm> out. <laughs> so what is he he says something like jesus you send a ghost to, to, my, yeah. to a pimp's door <laughs> um I, I like that they don't lean on that too heavily because i i thought the first time i was like okay yeah, we might do that Groundhog Day thing. And then when we did, and I was like, oh, you know, this is where it's going. But then when they do it again later, like in the movie, Fontaine gets shot one more time. And I really thought they were going to start a montage of him just getting shot and dumped out on a curb several times. Uh-huh. But they did not. And I appreciated that, that they I'm pretty sure they were cognizant they could have easily done that. And it probably would have been, you know, serviceable and kind of fun. But they were like, no, this is actually part of a greater scheme, like a heist of sorts. Yeah. And that was way cool. I guess we see, we really only see it four times, I think. Yeah. Because there's, there's like the initial, and then there's the, you know, new Fontaine does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then I think we have it, the third time we have it is after they agree to just forget about it, I guess, uh, yeah. and just go back to their lives. And he comes out and he scratches all the parts of the lotto ticket that says one of them is always a winner, but he always loses. Yeah. Uh, to see like kind of the wake up call as he's waking up more and more to how bullshit this all is that he sees that they're all all loses like right that, that this yeah. is completely out of his hands uh, and then I think the fourth time is the other version of Fontaine I guess is that Tyrone um, <laughs> who does the yeah. same thing in LA that uh, uh, that Fontaine does in the Glen yeah that's like the last line of the movie that's right Tyrone, like, yeah. isn't that you Tyrone yep they yeah. call Tyrone yep <laughs> Props to them for never uh, working the movie title in, <laughs> in any kind of incredulous <laughs> declaration other than, isn't that you, Tyrone? <laughs> that did bother me, though, because I w- not, not that they didn't say the movie title in the movie, but, yeah. but that we didn't know who the hell Tyrone was until the very end, because it, I just kept want, waiting for Tyrone to show up, and he kept not showing up. I was like, why don't just name the main character Tyrone? Like, And then I, you, know, you already called it They Clone Tyrone, so it's not like you're giving away plot by just naming the guy tyrone you know it's a movie about cloning like it just seemed weird to me that they made that decision 
I yeah, I kind of thought at the beginning, yeah. I was like, I guess his name is Tyrone Fontaine, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's I what I was assuming, too. Fontaine yeah. must be his last name, right? But they never call him Tyrone. Yeah. It was like a punchline at the end. Mm-hmm. Where they were like, that's yeah. why we called it this. <laughs> and and then they walked away. <laughs> um, yeah, that didn't bother me too much. It was one of those things where I was like, hey, all right, I guess Tyrone's somewhere around here. I'll fucking <laughs> see him someday. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end when they did it it was i did that like rick dalton snap and pointed a screen yeah. right there <laughs> and like about halfway through the movie when tyrone hadn't shown up i was like are they just doing this because tyrone is like a generic black name and this is just about you know the them cloning a bunch of black people and, and using that as a weapon in black society and i was i was getting way too thinking way too much about it during the movie <laughs> <laughs> Uh, isn't there a little bit of Tyrone in all of us? You just got to believe Dixon. (laughs) He's there. (laughs) You might say we ate Tyrone and he's in our stomachs right now. (laughs) Wait, scratch that last one. (laughs) I think it's interesting too, to talk about, like we've talked about the kind of half of the conspiracy around kind of drugging the populace. The other half of it is that they're cloning people, but only specific people. It's like drug dealers and pimps and, uh, people that they can put into the society to create havoc and chaos and violence and to kind of perpetuate uh, the cycle of poverty and to keep real estate values down. So like other, you know, so the area doesn't get gentrified and therefore they can still conduct their experiments without anybody finding out that they're actually doing that. And I think like that in, in combination with the, the drugging is kind of, you know, a, the movie saying like, this isn't like, you know, I don't know. You see like a bunch of conservative idiots who are like, you know, oh, well, you know, black population in this country just needs to like have some morals and some father figures and blah, blah, blah. And like, just stop being recidivist assholes. And it's like, you know, no, like this is created by the system we have in place, like thought out to a large to a, an insane degree, like that we have purposely created a society that looks like this, that, um, you know, creates poverty for for black people it makes it very hard for them to get out of that and um yeah I mean, it's you just look at like everything in their in their community is created by these you know scientists the U- u.s government whatever is controlling this thing and creating the situation that they're in yeah definitely like reinforcing and right that's what society kind of does right it reinforces the systems that are in place so yeah, having that idea be that like those things are the linchpins to keeping that society broken. And in mm-hmm. a way, right, like that is tr- true, absolutely true of drug dealers and pimps, you know, whether it's black America or everywhere, that's, you know, mm-hmm. the oldest crime is, yeah. is, you know, pimping or whatever, essentially, right? But in those instances, they control the community and we see fontaine the beginning uh this little kid comes to him and snitches Mm -hmm. uh right off the bat and that's absolutely like when you think about gang activity or drug dealing the sort of start of it of in the community these little kids you know don't necessarily realize the full extent of it but they want some cash and they want to be part of something and they you know start to follow it and eventually, like, when can I get a bigger deal? When can I get a cut? When can I write and sort of just perpetuates that because it's right there in front of their face um, yeah. or women who get sucked in sex trafficking or or whatever and kind of unable to escape these situations. Yeah. So um, I'm assuming the church leader was probably also cloned. I don't know. <laughs> Something that I, just holds yeah. whatever the system is. Probably. Uh, yeah, I don't think they showed him in the, the clone tubes, but... Um, if he wasn't a clone, he was definitely a willing participant in what was going on. Yeah, that was uh, David Allen Greer, Blink and You Miss It. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciated I that. Well, no, I don't always notice. see him anymore, but uh, always liked him back in the day. Uh, pretty, pretty funny sketch comedian. Yeah. Um, so I also like the the uh, what was the other? There's a strip club. That's the other door that leads. Oh, that, that's into where the, the DJ lab is. Well, yeah, it's right? a strip club mm-hmm. where the DJ was. Um, Sorry, I just like had that moment where I was like, they went into another place. What did they go into? <laughs> I love how elaborate they just those, come out those of those lockers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the not the lockers that say like unique and perfect or something are like the names <laughs> of the strippers. <laughs> it's like 
Wow. And then they have a white DJ in there and somebody like yells over the loudspeaker like, hey, like we got three runaways, stop them. And then he switches the song to some hypnotic thing that makes everybody really sluggish. And like, um, I think, does Charlie get uh, caught up in yeah, it? And they like have to like, drag he him starts out. To, yeah. yeah. Spinning around. Uh, yeah. They're hypnotizing. <laughs> um, yeah. Some of those, like the, some of the scenes too can get pretty intense um, for as kind of funny as it is. There are definitely moments that are pretty creepy and weird and like really capture your attention. Um, yeah. Like that hypnotic scene you can like feel the air in that club starting to like pressurize and when they're leaving and then you just see like a flood of people coming out, like running full speed at them. Yeah. It's so fucking intense <laughs> to watch that getaway. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, those sequences and like the fight choreography toward the end too, like when everything's going to chaos, uh, I just felt like that was really well orchestrated. I know that that, I don't know, the latter half really is not as strong as the beginning and that's because the mystery has gone away. Uh, and now it's just left to like, we got to fight whatever this is. Um, but I still found a lot of moments that were funny or interesting. Like there's a dude riding a scooter and he just gets fucking yeah. knocked over. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like a bunch of that <laughs> shit going on. Uh, just great. And that, that other guy, what is it? Ty, uh, Fontaine's friend who's like posted up in a desk. He's like, Hey, guess where I'm at underground. Get, get the girls. Come on, get some shorties. Like, come over here. <laughs> it's like, this is great. This is just perfect. So talking talking towards the ending and the and the later chunk of the movie, the real yeah, it really is kind of the prolonged invasion, I guess, mm-hmm. where they work out this scheme and invade the laboratory, um, and then we get kind of our couple of monologues from Keith or Sutherland. We get the monologue from I don't know if we caught his name, but the original version of Fontaine that is the doctor, yeah, behind all of this stuff motivations i'm not sure he kind of says some but i didn't really mm-hmm. get the leap from whatever but um and then it's kind of the all the people come out and they let all the clones loose and then we kind of get the cut to los angeles so i will yeah it is kind of like slower because i think you're at that point where you're like well they're all down there and there's kind of two ways this movie could go like we you know we get out and get some sort of victory or we're going really really dark territory and none of mm-hmm. it matters um but it's sort of like at that point you got to just know like all right let's let's kind of get to it and it kind of slows down and i also I, I will say like the the ending ending where they just let all the clones out and the news is on them you do have that <laughs> wonder of like is it really going to change anything like this whatever that is whatever part of the government's running this seemingly is already everywhere anyway and has yeah. some amount right. of control. Like, do they also control the media? It's it was all white broadcasters mm-hmm. on the news. I thought, you know, again, an interesting. So I was like, you know, I don't I don't know what the movie at the end necessarily says. And the only reason it seems like the only reason any characters would believe it are the ones who are like, hey, that's me, or I know that guy that got I guess they are clones. Everyone else would just be like, fucking weird day in the hood, I guess, whatever. <laughs> it's kind of like the like the yeah. leprechaun thing where they're like, okay, whatever, you know, it's funny. And then we move on. I'm, I'm I don't think leprechaun was real. I'm just saying it's like a news <laughs> yeah. media hype thing. <laughs> Ryan's a leprechaun. To me, it looked like theory. a leprechaun to me. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like this ends on like an optimistic note. Uh, I, I was thinking about Jordan Peele's us when I watched it as oh, well, just because us has that whole, there are a doppelgangers of you and, they represent something and they kind of come out and take over the world and, uh, do a hands across America at the end of it. And it (laughs) felt very similar where there's like this aimlessness in releasing, but I also felt like this had more optimism in its purpose. Like when the clones get released and somebody's like, Hey, isn't that you Tyrone? Like, I guess that means that that epiphany is going to spread to several other towns that have been staged up by this government and either who knows, like they're going to go on to change the news coverage to be, uh, like a nudist demonstration sweeps the nation or some shit, uh, (laughs) or the news can't really keep up with it and they either have to silence it or like there's an uprising that, that comes from it. Who knows? But that point, the movie's kind of like, uh, and the rest of the story goes where it goes. Like, don't worry about it. Um, here's what you saw. Well, this, this also had, sorry to bother you tones. Speaking of that similar where Mm -hmm. at the end, we kind of just get like, 
I don't like the horse people revolution or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it does kind of also end on a note where you're like, I don't know where this is going to go from they here. They prefer was, to be I'm called like, Equisapiens, right? Equisapiens, <laughs> you're right. Yes. Equisapiens, let's be out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, I want to like just go back to the Dr. Boyega character. I don't know what his name is. So, <laughs> uh, but him, his like whole purpose just understanding his motivations so his brother was killed by a police officer for stealing candy quote unquote the officer like just assumed something Mm -hmm. shot him and then he was traumatized dr boyega kept this part of the memory from the rest of the clones that he was traumatized because he had to like sit there and clean his brother's wound while his brother was dead i think and um, yeah i guess like not only the murder for seemingly even if it was a crime he committed a simple crime to then like complete disregard for him even after he was dead like no respect yeah there's nothing and so i think this is like the crux of where everything started from the government program was that he instead of deciding to lash out and reform the system instead offered to assimilate the entire black community to the system that because he saw that as the ultimate end of this is how I would get that respect is if we were all white people, uh, over time gradually. And then there could be no discrimination like this because they would respect us. And that's like his main motivation, right? I think that's his kind of like logic, his irrational logic. It's like the uncle Tom philosophy. It's just like, yeah, I think he's like, well, you know, black people can't be discriminated against and murdered in the streets. If, no one knows that they're black and we just turn them white and they can just, if we fit in with society happily with everybody else, the majority uh, that's already, that wants us to be this way anyway. Um, and so it's like really tragic that, I don't know, it just added that extra sadness to his character and the fact that he instills it in each of his clones. Like he's so attached to that, that memory and that trauma, but it's driving him to do, uh, like this terrible thing to his own community. Um, and that, that's where like, it really lines up with that kind of black exploitation of like, you either have a white villain at the back of it, or you have like an uncle Tom who is kind of trying to conform the black population and sell out in some way. It's just like, Oh, um, but it, it kind of tied everything nicely together. I felt, uh, for, I was like, okay, this I think yeah. makes sense motivationally. In yeah. A, a weird. Kinda, I didn't quite get the leap to, Okay, now I'll just integrate everybody. Like, I, I mean, I can kind of understand, I guess, the thought, but yeah, I will say, like, yeah. it never really necessarily touched on the the further conclusion that what that I always feel about that. Like, yet yeah, it'll just be something else, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah, the history of America. There was, you know, the Irish or Catholic or right. There's like even those was like we kind of forget the injustices that were there now on irish americans italian americans catholics that now kind of are just part of the quote white <laughs> community yeah. as well and that that's sort of faded forded away but i but i also think when i was a, a kid here in california we ended up having to get a dress code at my junior high it was the first year that that they did the dress code at that junior high and it was an absolute disaster but the whole thing was like well <laughs> Um, gangs are using colors, red, blue, or like cowboys hats or whatever mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. It was not fucking happening up here <laughs> at all. People up here talk about there being like gang activity. It's fucking nothing. This is white bread <laughs> suburban area. <Yeah. laughs> sure. But that, you know, this, the scare, the scare of the, you know, crime in the nineties. And there were kids that were showing colors or trying to be tough or whatever and mostly it was like bullying and it just became something else like it stopped being oh well we're wearing this it started becoming like well you know you can only wear this color of whatever the shirts that they provided us or you could do it but you you know untied one shoe and it was like and that the, was how you started kids had the one shoe untied yeah. that meant something the loose right lace it was kind of the same like yeah it used to be like overalls like one overall off meant something both <laughs> hey man, on, you know it was like, like that. the warriors dresses like that <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, roll around, yeah exactly. roll around. 
And yeah, kind of as a kid, I kind of hit that point where I was like, oh, it'll just be something else. Like if it, if we, you know, integrate everybody to all wear the same clothes, mm-hmm. like they're solved. No gang activity like that. Was yeah, rich be people the have to figure out a way to keep the pores down. You know, it's going to happen one way or another. That was actually, uh, I remember I learned that, uh, what is it, Bacon's Rebellion, like one of the first rebellions in the colonies mm-hmm. uh, was white and black slaves um, who were rebelling, or it was like indentured servants that were white and slaves. And uh, they basically like, to quell that rebellion after it was uh, settled down, they actually let the indentured servants whip the slaves and they created a class structure, a hierarchy there. Wow. And that enforced that, hey, slaves are lower than you are, and so you can do whatever you want to to them, and we can do whatever we want to to you and to them, but at least we don't, you know, you can do it to somebody else too. It's like really fucked up history of kind of establishing that. And I feel like that's, again, like why Ty- why Fontaine is cloned and why- That's why you like need Charles to unionize your workplace, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, I have one plot complaint that it's like it kind of doesn't matter in the movie but like i mean it it matters in how it ends but like emotionally it doesn't really affect anything but when they're in when they're underground and they get everybody down there and they're fighting all the scientists and stuff like they establish earlier keeper sutherland does that there's like a magic word that he can say i forget what it is olympia black olympia black they like he can then control all the clones Mm -hmm. when he says that and there's you know hundreds of, of people running around underground a significant amount of which are clones and nobody like calls over the loudspeaker and says olympia black or anything and so i was like that seems okay like it seems like they should have been able to defeat these guys fairly easily but whatever and then you get to the you know fontaine on fontaine on fontaine showdown mm-hmm. and you know uh our fontaine says to the um like bodyguard fontaine he says olympia black and then he tells him to shoot old guy fontaine and then he's like i'm not a clone you are I'm like wait a minute what no you're clearly you're clearly both clones like i don't, I don't know if, i don't know if he can say it and it doesn't affect him because he said it and it only affects the other ones but I, I just thought that like they set that up and then they didn't really use that in a very effective way yeah later on in the movie so i was kind of confused by that i kind of was also like the QA in my mind was like, well, you wouldn't set your bodyguard to have the same code word as everybody else, right? You're right. Like, that's a, yeah. That's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't have a good IT. I mean, it's there, yeah, right? it's yeah. plain text no passwords. password anyway. Yeah. So what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to move it along somehow. Got to wrap it up. I mean, it made sense. Like it was the throwback the same way as as the other stuff. But I agree that was a, a little weak. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the last thing I had was just the, in the news crews at the end of the movie. I thought that was pretty hilarious. You have these white reporters coming in and like clearly being uncomfortable in that neighborhood and, and not really knowing how to interact with the general population there. And you have that old guy announcing and and this guy runs up behind him. And he's like, they're cloning motherfuckers out here. And he's like, that does appear to be what's happening. <laughs> My super nitpicky gripe beyond that yeah. uh, when we get the the Jamie Foxx clone switch my mind mm-hmm. was like w- in the background was he having to talk to his clone that just came out of the thing and be like hey dude I hold on I know we look exactly the same <laughs> you're a clone I think I'm a clone too it's cool that guy, put on my jacket that guy over there can you just try to tackle him doesn't matter he's gonna kick your ass but yeah. he won't kill you it's okay it's okay and then I'll kill him and then we'll be good like what was the conversation <laughs> back there to do the switch well, that that got his clone to attack him I love it because when he's waking the clones up you hear him briefing them he's like you're the 1995 pimp of the year award winner <laughs> like <laughs> Just like catching them up on all that they've missed. Uh, <laughs> really pumping them up. I thought that moment was funny when Fox and Boyega are, are talking after they've realized that they're clones. And Fox is like, I never won the Pimp of the Year award, did I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is, there's one other moment that I did, I did want to bring up. And I'm curious if y'all think that I'm reading too much into it. But uh, the Dr. Boyega mentions that they perfected, they initially had an imperfect set of white clones, uh, or like white people that they bred, um, white, black people. I don't know how to, how to qualify it, but, uh, the, dudes with, the, hair, right? yeah. the dudes with the froze, they were like, we couldn't, couldn't figure out the hair genes. And <laughs> so now there's all these white dudes with froze around. Um, but like later there are two guys just walking like a, a cart in the labs. And one of them is like telling the other how to cook chicken. 
in like a crock pot. Oh, yeah. And oh, he's like, hilarious. you don't even need salt or anything like that. And he's like, wow, that sounds good, brother. I'm like, and he just does it. It's like you he's just boil very, it and it brings out the natural it. flavors of the chicken. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> no and salt I, and pepper? Nope. I was like, are these the perfected that the Dr. Boyega is talking about? Because that makes it even funnier that they show up for like two seconds to talk about oh, I didn't think about boiling that. chicken boiled chicken yeah <laughs> the fact i thought that it was just funny. a commentary about white people and they just said like all whatever you hear conversations from like the lab text they're <laughs> yeah. all the whitest shit you've ever heard <laughs> yeah that was where like it kind of got me in between because one of them calls the other brother really loudly in yeah. a very forced <laughs> okay, way yeah, and yeah. i was like is this the bro ham kind of the- thing yeah maybe that's funny bro you ever yeah, eat boiled it, chicken bro <laughs> i was so i was caught good, up bro. on first the disgustingness of boiled chicken and second the, like <laughs> trying to understand what the fuck what the natural flavor of chicken fucking would be oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um but yeah those those little details i caught that and i was like huh because i watched it twice in a row i i kind of like went i saw that <laughs> one after the other i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna remember this <laughs> did you just you sat down to right after you finished it and just started over again uh it was like a few hours in between where i was like hey sasha you want to watch a movie with me for the podcast i didn't tell her that i already watched it but yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> then we watched it and i just gauged her reaction most of the time and was writing down like my favorite quotes and stuff <laughs> what was sasha's yeah. take sasha liked it um she we we ran too late into the evening and she obviously powered down for like half of it and woke up when all of the clones were being set loose and everything was chaos. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to try to explain what's happened in between when you fell asleep in this this period of time. But then she was like, from what I saw, I liked this movie. I would recommend this movie. I was like, you can't do that. <laughs> you have to see all of it. <laughs> you like what you saw. Hopefully yeah. it was most of the movie. Yeah, you just you got to calculate the percentage and then you can weigh it. And the first half is was my favorite part of the movie. That's you know she got yeah, the good stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You if you fell asleep for Sorcerer all the way at the beginning and then watched the bridge and then fell asleep in the end, yeah. it's an amazing movie. <laughs> True, good, fair point. Yeah, it's the only other thing I had to mention. I did did I really did appreciate a lot of the little nods and little subtle things in this uh, at the beginning, and we and we see it in the background a couple times, but it's not one of the products that's mentioned through our stuff. There is a Mountain Dew-esque soda that's on the soda machines mm-hmm. that's called Soma, S-O-M-A-A-H. Okay. Uh, oh, I didn't notice I that. Really, yeah, it was, it's absolutely one of those like blink if you miss it in the background. I don't know if it is, but it, to me, I feel like it had to be a reference to the, the drug in Brave New World, which is called no. Soma. And there are elements of the like Brave New World of having like, okay, we're going to create a class system and you're part of this class and there you are and we use the drug to keep everybody pacified. Um, so I was like, ah, it might be a good, nice. I'm not sure who put that in there, but this is a potential little wink in either the prop department or, or someone. Yeah. Um, real quick, I also want a sanity check because I was reading an Empire article. I linked it to y'all or I like showed the screenshot where it said that, uh, that um, Jewel wanted to write um, this movie in like a Truman style with Groundhog Day send up and uh, like Truman, show style, you Truman mean? show, not true, not Harry Truman, yeah. uh, Truman show, <laughs> Truman Capote, yeah, are we Truman, about? any of those. Yeah. Wanted to write it in a Truman show style sort of homage with Groundhog Day elements. And then Empire just says, and a Napoleon dynamite send up. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's bullshit. This fucking person doesn't know what movie they're supposed to be citing. <laughs> black dynamite is i'm it? pretty sure it's a black dynamite thing because <laughs> that they, has they to be, right? heavily say like oh the 70s grain is inspired by napoleon dynamite and i'm like it that uh, that movie does not it's shot on like grainy digital sure but uh, it's not a 70s grain <laughs> very i mean that does feel empire. like a very disparate movie from <laughs> yes <laughs> from these other things that they list <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think I, it had to have been black them. dynamite but somebody edited it wrong or just was thinking yeah. about something else there's no comment yeah. section on that article and there's no like contact us support line i could do so yeah, i just you had need to tweet to email it. the ombudsman and get that changed yeah. <sighs> it's it, a unless we're talking about how the future farmers association is keeping down the white rural american by <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, could, you could build a conspiracy theory for it right sure <laughs> Yeah, the Rotary Club and the 4-H, and they're just controlling everything. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so yeah, let's, uh, I was gonna say, we'll go around and wrap up their thoughts on, on, would you recommend this? I would recommend it. I kind of like anything that's just something different. It's like refreshing. It's a new thing. It's, you know, this cast I think is really great. Um, pretty certain that the creator did not have large creative involvement in the things they did before, because I think this script Space is Jam colon a new legacy. Good. Yeah, I think this script is good. It is. And funny. And yeah, so I'm like, I think that he was, quote, the writer. And there were some executives that were telling him what to do yeah. the rest of the time. Ryan um, never saw so, yeah. Space Jam 2, but he saw the movie it helped make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it paid, it paid for. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, I think this is a good, like, breath of fresh air, in my opinion. Darla enjoyed it. I don't know if she would recommend it or not. Like, this was one of those, like, she's always like, if I can sit there and enjoy it, it's good. That's kind of her, like, even those who sort of, like, are, quote, terrible characters, you do kind of care for them. Yeah. John, what's your take? Uh, I said it when I, when we began this. I'll say it again. I love this movie. Um, I, it's a really fun black exploitation romp in a contemporary setting, contemporary ish setting. I think it's like, you have to pull it forward a few decades. If you're going to make a black exploitation film now. And this does it excellently. And the ensemble cast just knocks it out of the park with the chemistry, the comedy, and even the existentialism that comes into it. There are like parts of the plot that are pretty weak and there's some, some pieces of it towards the end that, um, they just don't hit as hard as they did in the beginning. Uh, but overall I really enjoyed it and I would recommend it for sure. Uh, and I want to look up the soundtrack and the score and like, just listen to those for mm -hmm. a while. Those are in my head now. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie. Had a good time with it. Um, first half is great. Second half is, is solid. And, um, you know, I, I think it's definitely worth watching. It's a fascinating script. And, uh, despite the previous work of its creator, but um, <laughs> also Jamie Foxx was a producer on this. And um, I think that was probably helpful in a lot of the production value and, you know, kind of the care that was put into making this as, as good as it was. So I thought he was great, um, you know, acting in the film, but um, I'm, I'm guessing that he probably had a hand in, in kind of making this, uh, you know, as, as good as it turned out to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially since he gets to steal the show, then I guess his character. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you put the money up, you get to be in the movie. You're just like right, Jimmy so Fox is good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, that wraps up this episode of Afterthoughts. That was three Yeah, You Should Watch It's on uh, They Cloned Tyrone, which you can watch on Netflix because it's probably not in a theater around you because even after it went into a theater, I doubt it'll be there next weekend. Yeah. Uh, by the time you hear this. Uh, I, I was your host, Ryan King, and with me tonight, John Garcia. Um, and just be, be beware, everybody. Look out for the magical box of 40s that opens up into an elevator. But if you find it, maybe <laughs> go get in. in. See what's up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or take your gun with you. <laughs> Pack mm -hmm. a rod. Yeah, you're, you're a little like snub nose 38 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's gold plated <laughs> yes and uh also joining us <laughs> michael dixon thanks for putting up with our bullshit hey there movie buffs tv toughs and all listeners in between John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.